0: Legends never die. They just decide to live on an asteroid and buttfuck a widow. It's V'ger, please. A Hateful Voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is
1: Joseph. I'm going to be your emotional co-host,
0: Peter. Before we get into the episode, I do want to take a moment to thank Ian and Sarah, who we have periodically thanked over the last four years, because... They created the theme song you just listened to, as well as our way more dope inner light theme song that we've gotten to use less frequently. Truly, a purposefully crappy recorder version of Voyager's theme could not have been more competently executed. So thank
1: you both. A a purposefully crappy theme for a purposefully mostly crappy show.
0: I see where your, uh, your your sentiments are as we close in on the end of Voyager. I was I was waiting until we do our our series rip maybe to explore that more because uh, I have accused you over the years of being uh, uh, perhaps uh, co-opted, co-opted of,
1: of, of going native well yes. uh, as we were just subjected to natural law last episode i have had my eyes reawaken to some harsh truths about the subject material we're working on but i want to say man like we're we're in the last three episodes now um and as you pointed out it's been four years since we started this this has been consistent right this has been an anchor through covid i am genuinely sad that we were winding down on voyager and uh obviously there's you no know, Movies to really look forward to after that. Um, mm-hmm. So this is, uh, this has been something. And speaking of something, what did we watch this week? Season, season seven, episode 23, Homestead. This is our
0: surprisingly favorite characters, final, mostly final episode. You just show up briefly one more time, but this, this is it for our boy Neelix, whom you and I definitely started out hating but have slowly warmed up to uh, as the experience has gone on to the point where I think I'm correct to state that he's he's probably both of our
1: favorite character. You are not wrong. And I would have, disclaimer, Kess is off the table because she's been absent several seasons and cannot be considered part of the main cast. Right, before. Yes. And who knows what things would have looked like had Jennifer Lean stayed on uh, to the end, to this point at least. But uh, I would have, ne- as I never would have thought that Tess would have been one of my favorites. Uh, 0. 0.0 chance I ever would have thought that Neelix could have grown on me uh, with with the fervor of an STD the way he did.
0: Like the weaponized cheese that this man is known for creating really stunk up the joint in season one. But I think for this episode's best moments are the, the moments where it reflects on that oddly enough. So even what I would call Neelix's lowest time in terms of his enjoyability as a character, where we were just, we're looking forward to him not being on screen or perhaps being run over like the filthy space rat that he is by some sort of random piece of debris. Uh, here we are at the end essentially the end of his story and so much of that matters to why this episode is in fact very good it's not perfect i got a couple complaints i'm gonna bring up oh big ones there's, there's some some real missed opportunities big ones but overall i think it very much delivers on giving him a
1: satisfying ending and let me jump back to our last episode when we were discussing this one as we looked at the capsule when I was on one of the various Star Trek Facebook groups that are in no way as good as our Star Trek Facebook group, which is the feature police trauma support group, which you should be joining and having fun with us. Uh, I saw the last, you know, a screen clip from the end of the episode where Neelix has the duffel bag over his shoulder and he is walking down a hallway very clearly being sent off by all the uniformed personnel. And I was fear hurt I, I don't know i had great concerns like this character what what why would neelix not finish the voyage home with voyager with his family uh someone who delights in new things new contacts new experiences foods like just think of the treasure trove of experience that the Alpha Quadrant and that Federation space should represent to a social butterfly like Neelix. What would it take to pry that reward, uh, that heaven away from this guy? And you assured me that this episode uh, was going to be able to paint that picture and connect the right dots. So this episode
0: begins with really a classic Neelix trope and that is he is the ship's social planner and he has decided to create his own custom celebration of the Federation's biggest holiday being first contact day to my knowledge I think aside from its uh, brief appearance in that crappy pre-picard short that we uh, we all watched and then we ultimately disappointed by this is, this is the only time you see first contact day really like celebrated as a holiday. But I buy that. It's like the Federation's like independence day. Like this is the most important thing to
1: them. Sure. I mean, Janeway will even say like, wow, this is the best first contact I've ever seen when I was your age. You know, it was just a day off of school for us. And I think that encapsulates a lot of the holidays we have in the U S uh, and I don't mean any disrespect, any veterans out there, but, you know, Veterans Day, Memorial Day, Labor Day, stuff like these federal holidays that we get off. But, you know, short of Fourth of July with fireworks, you know, outside of Christmas. Binge drinking.
0: Let's, be, let's be
1: clear. For Fourth of July
0: also has binge drinking
1: and barbecues. There's a lot going on yeah. Fourth of July, but, you know, no one's really getting down on um, Memorial Day. Right. Labor Day's a couple cookouts, too. So uh, I respect the sentiment there. And in true Neelix fashion, he has taken any excuse he has to throw a party. Uh, We've seen him do it with Klingon stuff, uh, Vulcan, Vulcan holidays that that are not supposed to be uh, jubilant, uh, not jubilant, you know, jubilant, jubilant um, exercises, stuff that Tuvox told us is supposed to be meditative and contemplative instead he's got music and stuff so uh they've got a jukebox which how many replicator rations did that take yes like did he go down to like wherever they make the fucking uh parts for
0: the endless amounts of shuttles they've created and decided (laughs) to pop out a jukebox instead the fuck
1: did that come from or was it part of tom's hidden reserve i was gonna say like i could see that there there could have been a thing they're like hey go easy on this neelix this took me a lot of rations replicator rations to make and there's like a dolly back there so he can get it back to his quarters he's got uh zephram cochran's favorite appetizers i I don't know if they were like cheese pierogies I am yeah. down
0: for that. I could do I could do, I could definitely slam some pierogies. I, yeah. I did like that the the rock music that is in first contact with Zephyrin Cochran is clearly much more actually rock and roll, and this is like some 50s doo-wop elevator music. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely like not exactly correct, but that's the sort of thing Neelix wouldn't necessarily understand. He would just be like, Computer, play rock music, right? Like he would he wouldn't know contextually the difference.
1: This is also very clearly the best mess hall party I've seen in a Voyager episode. Like it actually looks like it's fun on set and people are having a good time there. Unlike the many other boring mess hall parties we've seen, notably the blue ball guitar. I was going to
0: bring up the blue cup ball guitar party. Cause everyone was very comfortably seated there and they're wearing civilian clothes. Remember like Janeway had that, that pantsuit thing.
1: She looked like a Coke dealer, yeah.
0: Yeah, it was awesome. She looked like it was straight out of Miami Vice.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, but this looks like a real fun party. Um, We get Naomi Wildman thrust upon us, uh, much to my chagrin.
0: A clearly older Naomi Wildman uh, as well. Like, the last time we saw her, she just looks like she's definitely aged up a little bit.
1: There is a mention I thought was cool that this was the 315th, uh, first contact anniversary, so 315 years since the initial meeting between Vulcans and humans, and um, you get Neelix pulling his homeboy Tuvok out. Hey, do the thing you said you'd do. Say the line, Tuvok. Do it. R- at, R- while you're at it, dance.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a... Uh, we, we, we close in on, thankfully, shooed feet. Oh, There's no like...
1: chance those used toe fucking hobbit feet could have fit in those patent leather monk shoes he's wearing.
0: But he's, he's, he's doing some real uh, white Talaxian dancing, and he's like, hey, Tuvok, you're black. Maybe you've got some rhythm. And he's like, if I do, you will never see it because I am a Vulcan, and Vulcans do not dance like compressor. And this is going on there could be an order for him to dance from janeway who delights in in pushing people around lately uh but Chicote shows up
1: i before we move on i'm gonna say up front that despite his limited screen time in this episode um this is as much for me a send-off and when i'm saying send-off not like For Neelix, it's literally a send off, but like uh, Natural Law was the the last character focus episode for Chakotay and, you know, tying these things up. I feel like as much as this is for Neelix, this is for Tuvok.
0: Tuvok actually has a ton to do with the finale, so I don't agree with you there, but I see what you mean in that they definitely used him as the secondary character for this episode because neelix and Tuvok have had such a long-standing uh association. They've in episodes together a lot. Their odd couple nature has been emphasized a number of times. This episode in fact has the sole mention of a certain circumstance that we'll discuss later. And uh, I agree is very well done that they they chose that to emphasize as a way to make the story work.
1: I We'll need to see the last episode before I can give my final thought on this. But as you have very correctly stated very early in the show, Tuvok is a complete character. He does not have a journey to go on. He is a perfect Vulcan. He does not deviate the way that Spock would because of his half human nature. And unless Tuvok has suffered some sort of brain injury, you always get a proper good Vulcan. And the only time that Tuvok really has anything interesting to add to a scene is when he is being sassy and shitty. And that only really happens when he's dealing with Neelix. So Neelix is the looking glass through which you can see an interesting Tuvok. And it's through these final interactions here that you see Tuvok complete as much of an emotional journey, I think, as that character could possibly have
0: ultimately i would say that tuvok's role in this episode is very suited to his character which we've seen in some of his interactions with Janeway. we that sort of thing just because he's vulcan doesn't mean he doesn't have feelings right they're just very suppressed that's the thing about vulcans it's not that they have no emotions it's that their emotional Bandwidth is turned all the way down as a consequence, as a, as a s- mental safety measure for how wild it gets if they don't do that. Right, that was like a whole episode about Tuvok that we learned his backstory of he was really hot to to bang some ambassador's daughter and had to go, you know, cool his balls off in some cave with him. He had to go pray the sex away. Yeah, some some guy who taught him to be a a proper Vulcan. So he has feelings just like anyone would. And he expresses them in a way that's appropriate to his character. And, but because it's so appropriate, it, I think matters more because it feels earned. Yes. And so often when we're watching Trek now, I think nothing feels earned in discovery in the discovery era. Uh, unearned emotion is possibly the 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 worst part of that show. And to see something here that's a real subtle payoff of seven years of these two mm. having a very contentious seeming relationship with each other uh, was was probably the best part.
1: Well, but we'll get there. We'll, so let's... they set the table well with a final challenge being issued by Neelix of, I'm going to get you to deviate from your your normal course and i'm gonna get you to dance before we get back to earth like you said two uh chakotay shows up
0: and he's like hey it just detected like a whole shit ton of talaxian life signs so that seems pretty weird since we are like a billion years from the closest talaxian in fact the last time we saw it was pre necrit expanse in fair trade it was the last time a talaxian was on screen when he ran into his fellow like coke dealer friend that he helped like uh get out of his uh debt that he was in That's it. Other than that, it's been like flashbacks or like stuff in his head, not an actual other Talaxian.
1: We might have seen a assimilated Talaxian at some point in some Borg shot. And I'm going to say that's that's a big maybe. No, yeah, we did see a Talaxian Borg. um, And certainly that's not going to count. So they're like, hmm, well, let's go check that out. And they show up to where the readings are coming from. And it is like a asteroid belt, the likes of which you'd require to be hand solo to really want to fuck with.
0: You never want to tell them the odds before you get into this sort of asteroid belt, but they go in on the Delta flyer. It's Tom and, and it's Tuvok and it's, it's Neelix because they can't get anyone to answer their hails. And they are, I think legitimately concerned, like, is there a ship in there that's damaged or something?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and uh they go in and then they get depth charged <laughs> well
1: i i i'm gonna say it i'm gonna say it because uh the show finally had the balls to say it tuvix all right well, I knew that, there, that's well hold on we're way before that i knew there was going to be a tuvix reference in here right mm-hmm. you told me I i knew it they're arguing and they're going back and forth bickering. And this is where Neelix is like, oh, Mr. Vulcan, I'm going to get you to dance before we get in there. And then Tuvok's like, no, fuck you, bitch. You better get a different hobby because you're never. And they're going back and forth. And Tom turns around and says, hey, knock it off, you two, before I come back there and separate you. And I was like, oh, that's, that's, they're, they're very clearly referencing Tuvix here. Oh, you thought that was it? I thought that was it. And I was like, oh my God, like what a, I mean, they're not saying Tuvix, but, like, that's very clear. Go back there and separate Tuvok. Mean, that's a fucking tooth Tom's poking it with a stick. But that's just L- the appetizer. Yeah, little did you know. Little did I know. <laughs> From the
0: mouth of babes would come such such glory. Mm-hmm. They get depth charged by what we'll find out later are a bunch of, uh, what, metal face aliens? I'm not quite sure what else to describe uh,
1: Let me tell you how to describe these guys gene simmons huh that hair that stretch skin face that capitalistic vulture nature these this is a race of gene simmons this is the kiss army they're fucking with right now (laughs) oh my god they all sold out (laughs) (laughs) they're after that heavy metal
0: so they the they crash land on the asteroid and when Neelix comes to, he is being tended to uh, by a a Talaxian woman by the name of
1: Dexa. Just as repulsive and terrifying as you would remember female Talaxians being. Listen, none of them
0: are lookers, and I've grown to accept this. But uh, Dexa, we will come to understand, has a, a son named Brax. And a conveniently dead as fuck husband, <laughs> and uh Neelix knows an opportunity when he sees one and uh he he's he's very f- kind of flirty with with Dexa from the beginning, right like he's very interested in her interest in him you know he's he's not pushing her away or anything. Uh there's definitely a couple spots where he uh decides not to move in for for some obvious affection, which I think well, I you know, he's just rusty. I mean, you know, he was used to dealing with O'Campins and their and their weird like pouches or whatever is going on with Kess. So sticky he just, fingers. Yeah, he just wasn't he wasn't ready and he, oh, and then there was the Klingon, of course. There was the Klingon giant Klingon lady he yeah. ruined Club I, Tuvok. With. I was
1: gonna say that. Neelix is operating with a clear head because those pipes are clean. That's true. There was nothing left after that. Thick and span. He's at like negative um, capacity right now. He wakes up in this bed. There's some light chit chat. Hey, why did you attack us? Well, we didn't. You just got caught by some mining, um, some strip mining efforts. Where's my friends? Well, they're separated. Uh, we're a little apprehensive of outsiders genuinely, generally, the, uh, the the glimpses we've gotten into Talaxian culture has been very warm and very welcoming. And that is not what we're getting here. She's been ordered to actually not even talk to him. Uh, her son comes in and starts talking. She shooes him away. And eventually Neelix will get up out of the bed and try and leave. And she surprises him with a little force field action. And he's actually being held prisoner for the time being. And that'll change quickly enough, but I want to say that I read his decision to not pursue her aggressively as being uh, an apprehension on his end to not get stuck, not to not to get his heart set on something that he didn't think he was going to be around for. And I think they're trying to telegraph that they're trying to foreshadow that this is that he knows he wants this right from the beginning he is clearly
0: wistful at the idea of contacting the talaxians from the moment he knows they're there um we haven't seen neelix be this way about like interfacing with talaxians but as noted it had been forever since he's run into any And really the only times he's it's given thought to that is when he's like thinking about like his home, his family, uh, horrific things that happened to them. So it's a I don't want to say it comes out of nowhere, but it's definitely like one of those things that the show has never really kind of developed much content on because there wasn't a need for a while because they were around Talaxians occasionally because they were in that part of space. And then, then when they weren't, wasn't on his mind. So it'd be natural to f- kind of forget about it. And then you're suddenly reminded, Oh, uh, here's my people. And I'm never going to see them again.
1: That was an important part. And when he left, as they left the Talaxian spheres of influence, it was just kind of this gradual thing. And he would never had to confront it and say, I know this is the last, that the- whatever the Necritic expanse station was. I know that I will, this is the last time I'm going to see one of my own kind. Whereas now, Here's a colony that should not be here. We're going to interact with it, and this is goodbye to all vestiges of my last, my 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 former life. Um, so he's being confronted with that, and again, I think there's an apprehension on his end. Don't get attached because uh, this is going to be a limited duration situation.
0: While everyone is being held hostage, uh, Janeway gets to the bottom of the issue that there are minors that the gene simmons people kiss army the kiss army is attempting to strip mine this asteroid field and that is the wash that uh the delta flyer got got mixed up in they're the sort of delta quadrant alien that is extraordinarily unhelpful without being like totally like absurdly villainous they're the bad guys but they're not like their Jack boots are only come up halfway up the calf, you know, like they're bad, but they're not like, we're going to kill all the Talaxians and eat their babies because that's what we do for a yeah, hobby. I, it's just, they give a kind of casual disregard.
1: I can't really say they're, they're
0: bad guys though. Like, Hey, we're they here. Are, they're, they're willing to kill everyone on that asteroid. They that's the say, bad.
1: They don't say they are though. Like they, they get accused of like, you're willing to kill us. Like, we're telling you, get the fuck out of here. Like, we, we don't want to do this. Uh, you know, later on, there's a scene where they start pushing and shoving and, um, you know, guns come out. They don't shoot anybody, which they're not a species of Mr. Rogers. That's that's for sure. But as far as like Delta Quadrant assholes go, these guys are real mild. I was. Yes.
0: The Kiss Army are mild assholes on the Delta Quadrant relative alien shitbag meter. I will agree. Janeway gets the information. They offer to assist uh, if the Delta Flyer's in there, but they kind of try to put Voyager off, sending a shuttle in. Fortunately, while this is all happening, Neelix talks his way out of being captured and allowing him and uh, uh, Tom and, and Tuvok to be able to depart. But him being escorted out allows him to see where they are. And he gets some face time with the Tlaxi leader, a, a guy by the name of Oxalon, I believe. And then it gets a little more
1: dialogue with his son and then sees the asteroid colony itself. We find out that the Talaxians arrived here in five ships. They've stripped down four of the five ships and reused all of the parts to create a vibrant mining colony where they're mining some sort of unobtainium. uh, And they have one functional ship. And this is going to become part of the problem is that uh, the KISS army is like, hey, get the fuck out. This is our area and you need to scoot. And they're going to be like, well, we've only got one ship. We won't be able to bring any of our stuff. And then Gene Simmons is like, who told you to fucking strand yourselves that way? That's that's a you problem. Uh, But you can still get your meat like your your people out of there and don't have to die on this rock. Um, You just bad business decision. Sorry, dude.
0: The plot starts to make its turn when, you know, two. Neelix gets back to the Delta Flyer, starts to help him out in fixing it, and that's kind of when you start to see his more. Jesus, this is the last time I'm actually going to see a fucking Talaxian. I don't know if I'm ready for this kind of emotional issue. Uh, and they find that uh, the the young uh, Talaxian lad uh, Brax has stowed away on the ship. Discovered, of course, thanks to uh, 24th century technology you're fond of, which is the wrist mounted flashlight neelix offers to take the lad back to his
1: his mom before they take back off i kind of wish that tuvok had shot him with a phaser
0: yeah yeah just like hair trigger on kill you know so tuvok he has to bring back been like body. listen
1: i've had some real bad experiences in the cargo area of the delta flyer one time i got gang banged by a tentacle monster uh this is certainly a part of the ship that I'm going to shoot first and ask questions about later.
0: If it Um, wasn't for space molder, I would never have gotten out of
1: that. (laughs) The incredibly generous, uh, selfless space molder. They're on the Delta flyer because whereas the Talaxians seem like they're willing to play nicey nice with Neelix. Uh, they told Paris and Tuvok to, to fucking hit the road and Neelix was like, listen, if you're not going to let my friends stay, then I'm not going to stay either. See you jerks later. But the kid's stone away. He goes, all right, we got to get you back to your mom. And as he's leading him back to his mother, he captures, uh, he, he walks in on a little plot point where we have the Kiss Army telling the Talaxians they need to get the fuck out. We find out that Neelix's girlfriend-to-be um, has bigger balls than the leader guy. Yeah,
0: the leader is definitely shown as very risk adverse and kind of a pushover, which just opens up a key narrative lane for Neelix later. And uh, we see the first sign of that when uh, Brax throws like a fucking rock at one of the Kiss army and they get like, bring that kid over here. And they they go for their gats and then Neelix decides to
1: 2v1 these dudes with no weapon and then illegal ninja moves taught to him by the Federation as he busts out the Kirk classic double ax handle
0: straight up. Like does like I, I took Federation uh, fighting one Oh one in the holodeck. I know what I'm doing and just ax handles one grabs the gat, like points at the other guy, just Gene oh. Simmons is
1: like, Jesus Christ, what was that? He hit him with both hands at once. No wonder he's been instantly incapacitated. Is this a, is this a space wizard? <laughs> we don't want any part of this. Don't leave that kid alone. We're getting out of here. But you guys, you better leave. This this guy can't double axe handle all of us. And by by
0: doing that, it sort of immediately sets up what I, I think is you know, the, the part of this episode that really works, which is... Neelix has dramatically changed from the character he was in season one. This is what I was referring to earlier. The Neelix that we knew when his journey started would never have considered intervening to save that child, let alone been capable of the double axe handle disarm maneuver. Yet he pops it off immediately right here he takes command of the situation and tells the other guy to fuck off like gene simmons get the fuck back on your
1: on your boat this is neelix territory i want to talk about behind the scenes here written by Raff green i don't recognize that name directed by lavar burton the shame to lavar burton is that he does not have a distinctive directorial style and i cannot tell his like jonathan frakes certainly i can pick him out of a lineup right there's, yeah, because
0: his camera work is very spe- specific to him. Yeah, he likes it's some it's interesting point. things there, yeah.
1: LeVar Burton, his uh, readily identifiable feature is that if there's a god-awful episode of Trek, there's a one-in-five chance LeVar's name is somehow associated to it. But then he's got some really great ones, right? Specifically Timeless. And I, I'm going to go ahead and put this one as a great one, too. Um, I am stunned that I'm not seeing Bran Branagh I'm not seeing uh, Kenneth Biller. I'm not seeing the staple. We know the material, guys, because there are so many layers to this episode that if it's you and me or anybody else who has watched this this television show and put serious thought into it, that you see this character growth and you recognize it. And and I, I'm I'm going to get deep into it. But none of it is ever specifically mentioned. And for mm-hmm. a casual watch, this just seems like a dude who is doing what any uh main character would do in 90 sci-fi, and that's be the good guy. But everything you're saying right now, nail on the head. This is a complete yeah. 180. This is the hero's journey uh yeah. reaching its final form here. And uh I'm excited to to really get into that once we we get a little later, but the result is uh, everybody's like, oh, gosh, you, you save the day, Neelix. But leader guy's kind of like, eh, you might have made things worse. This is this is a real sticky situation we're in here now. We find out that this group of
0: Talaxians is essentially been long term refugees that left Talax because the Harkonnens control it, which we found out back in Chitrell. We found out all about that. That was season one. And so these guys wanted no part of being you know, subjugated by them. And so they took off and then they've been slowly moving across the Delta Quadrant ever since. And that they've been pushed out of everywhere else they've tried to go, which is why they attempted to make a homestead here in the middle of this fucking asteroid belt, assuming like, okay, well, this is one place. No one's going to fucking bother us.
1: But here, Is here they where, are
0: getting fucking bothered.
1: Did he bring uh Brax and leader guy and the son over to Voyager at this point?
0: Yeah, so after he intervenes, he gets them all to come to Voyager, and and while they're visiting, it's kind of where we get this backstory. Um, the you know, the the tent, the romantic tension uh between Dexa and and Neelix continues to grow, of course, now that he's interceded to save her son. She's definitely super warmed
1: up to him. She's very clearly attracted to the bad boys. And, we find out that her previous husband, uh one of the colonies that this Talaxian group of outcasts had held, uh they landed somewhere that was not keen on having a bunch of space cats pissing on all the furniture. So they're we'll more
0: do- dog people. It's understandable.
1: Yeah, you know, hey, uh you and your um villainous <laughs> cheese cheeses can stay over there with your fused toes we're going to give you a little reservation uh which is not big enough to support the colony uh her husband said fuck that i'm going to go off and plant on the other side of the fence and they said we told you not to put crops here uh and then they shot him in the head and that was that but she's got an mo for for alpha tilaxians. let's say And she, the picking has been slim evidently ever since her husband got KO'd.
0: So uh, Neelix looks like some, some prime material for, for her. And, you know, the, the kids get in the, the tour gets meet up with uh, Naomi. They're, you know, go to the holodeck together, which seems like a horrifically dangerous thing to allow two children to do unsupervised, but whatever, I guess today is not one of the days. It's going to be the danger
1: room. <laughs> hey, do You think there's going to be an episode about Talaxians fighting off mining colonies? No, this is going to be the where a uh, flotter becomes self-aware and tries to kill children. We got a big discussion here because the, the tube is going to come out. Before we get to that, one of my biggest gripes about this episode is the, the fucking ridiculous notion that these Talaxians are here. Right. I find you jump back to the space Jesus Klingon baby growing inside of B'Elanna, right? This generational Klingon ship that's managed to drift intact out into the Delta Quadrant more, not more, but feasible. Whereas 500 Talaxians on six different ships made this Battlestar Galactica journey, their little flotilla through the the wheel of misfortune that is a delta quadrant to arrive here safely i don't know how old let let's just be clear they had to traverse all of borg space like that's the,
0: that's the first thing they would have had to have done
1: the borg the Necritic expanse the fucking uh the Hirog- the, the Hirog- Hirog- yeah uh, it, you god the fucking mind altering potted plant world eater
0: The Time Um, Boticers,
1: yeah, uh, God, like seven seasons of fucking nonsense without so much as a nudge from a Kess or a They didn't get to cheat, right? Like they didn't get fucking Borg boom tubes. Were there some just
0: super badass like uh, Talaxians that didn't make it? Like, would they they start with fifteen hundred and the thousand alphas all fucking died on the way here? Like.
1: There right. were 70 ships initially and we're the last six to get like it is so fucking ridiculous. I don't know how old Neelix is, but Neelix was alive and an adult during the occupational war with the um the Hakonan or whatever. Mm-hmm. He left that and that seems to be a pretty fresh thing. I mean, Jotrell being the main villain of that war still alive so if it was more than 15 years ago i would be very surprised and somehow this group of talaxians end up there i needed some piece of throwaway bullshit dialogue of a wormhole or a let's not forget the space catapult remember that Mm -hmm. Taryn. Taryn, can you hear me
0: jeez we're gonna need we're gonna need more space math (laughs) here we are uh we're going to subpoena the space math. We're, we're going to cross-examine the
1: space math. They'll let us down. I'll read it this time, I promise. He, um, Peter's not going to read it. He's lame, <laughs> here, but I'll read it. I, it's true. I'm half Romulan. I cannot tell uh, the truth. So for being the premise of this episode, for them, no one to even bring it up once, like, how the fuck did you guys get out? We have had to work our asses off. Like, did you guys have, like, a legal federation space kitty murdering...
0: <laughs> they built uh, a UAC
1: Helltech engine. <laughs> did, did you talk to some guys called the Equinox and you just melted a bunch of space kitties to get you out to this? I mean, just a couple of lines of dialogue. We found a wormhole. Blah, blah, blah.
0: Solve. It right? was crazy,
1: like, man. We went to bed and we just woke up one morning. We were out here. Good enough. Good enough. Q. Something. Some Acknowledge guy, that this is dumb. Some guy named Q popped on our ship and said this is the way it had to be and all of a sudden we were out here i'd buy that in a fucking heartbeat the initial working title for this episode was supposed to be destiny which i think would have been perfect and i would have bought a q connection on that um but anyways i'm gonna take all my complaints about it's fucking ridiculous that these bullshit idiot talaxians are this far into the delta quadrant i'm gonna put them in a box i'm gonna put it on the shelf and i'm not gonna talk about it again
0: it's, uh it's like your decorations for for christmas and you know, like br- you only bring them out like when it's time you enjoy them for a moment but then they go back before it gets you know it rains on everyone's parade i like
1: I, it i would i wish i had the forethought to like think to write all of my grievances about voyager episodes and turn them into Christmas tree ornaments somehow and just decorate my have tree two, upstairs
0: you'd have like three trees <laughs> like there's no <laughs> way you'd No way you'd be able to fit it on one.
1: The tree of grievance.
0: (laughs) I mean, that is the Festivus uh, way of dealing with
1: it. The airing of the grievances. Have you ever heard of a thought jar? No, I have not. It's an Everybody out there listening, I'm going to tell you right now, if you need a fucking home run for a Christmas present and you're broke or you need to get yourself out of the doghouse with a significant other or repair a relationship with a family member. This is the best gift you can ever give somebody. You sit there and you write out 30 pieces, little slips of paper, and each slip is a good memory you have of somebody. And then you fold those all up and you throw them in a decorative box or a jar or whatever, and you give it to that person. And you say every day you take out a little piece of paper, and you read it and that's a great memory i have of you and if you are lucky enough to still have your grandparents i i did it for all my grandparents it was a grand slam and then um you know eventually man i'm gonna choke up
0: yeah i was gonna say dude like this this is a this is an awesome idea for like i was just thinking about that and, and my mom would love something like this you know like
1: absolutely i'm telling you yeah and then you know, if that when that person passes on, uh, you know, that becomes even more of an important thing. If you take possession of that again or another family member and it's a way to yeah. remember that person through that. So that's uh, that's my heartwarming tip for the holidays. To that's you probably
0: the easily the most heartwarming thing we've done over one hundred and eighty six episodes. Peter, I just, I, you know, you're saving it up, right? Like it's mm-hmm. a season finale type of thing you know that you're I'm going to make one of
1: those jars uh and it's going to be a, a remembering jar for lawn suitor. I'm trying to remember uh what we so were they we gonna
0: they do, they go to negotiate with the Kiss army.
1: No, yeah. before that. So they're on the fucking ship walking around and and giving him the grand tour of everything. And we go into the mess hall No, nope, Naomi- Not yet. It's after the negotiation. Trust me. I know right, exactly go when that you. line happens.
0: Okay. Cuz they have the dinner he busts out the, the special Talaxian wine he's had for 15 years. He's kicked some cakes. He's making some eye contact. She wants some real bad. He takes a pass because still trying to figure out what he wants to do. And that's the, the lead into the negotiation scene where they try to convince Gene Simmons, like, dude let's find a way around this, they can offer you something else in trade, let's all be reasonable here. They got and Kiss,
1: geothermal power.
0: The KISS Army is just not having it, and that's why I say they're clearly the bad guys, right? Like, it's not that there's not an attempt made to, like, satisfy their capitalistic desires. It's, they're just not willing to deal at all, and would rather just push these people out and threaten to kill them if they don't. And that is when Neelix goes back to the, uh, the mess hall to break the news uh, that negotiations didn't work and this is ultimately going to be an evacuation. And that's when we get essentially a throwaway setup line of like, you know, you join the conversation in Media Res where Naomi Wildman is evidently explaining the story of Tuvix as if it's something that she personally knows about.
1: Despite not being born.
0: No, not being born yet.
1: I'm going to turn back to Raph Green, who apparently never got the memo from Rick Berman or uh, Bran Branagh or any of the other showrunners that he who shall not be named must never be mentioned ever again. Do you have the exact quote?
0: I don't have... Let me see. It's Actually, I, better. I, it better I, yeah. be in
1: this fucking memory alpha. How, how is this not? <laughs> yeah, it's not here. It's not in the memory alpha. Throw memory alpha in the fuck I mean, trash. it was it was essentially like
0: there was a transporter accident, and Commander Tuvok and Neelix combined to form an entirely different person. And then uh the Talaxian kid, uh Brax was like, Really? And then we <laughs> want And then says, what
1: happened? And then And then Captain Crazy Janie, she told, she told the doctor to kill them, to kill the new life.
0: She literally says, that story is so crazy, I couldn't have made it up. You know, like, it's a comment on how stupid that episode was in terms of its premise. Like, yeah, they combined to form an entirely different person who was then murdered by the captain. Nah, like that that's some shit that had to have happened. I couldn't have just made that up.
1: It's a big deal. Yeah. It this this is a landmark moment for Star Trek Voyager to reference uh one of the craziest things to happen short of threshold and for it to be a child uh to have the bravery to openly discuss it in a public area of the ship. Her mom had it people told her about this. Yeah.
0: People are like, hey, this happened. Neelix might have told her about it. Like, yeah, I, I kind of, I, I'm friends with Commander Tuvok because we used to be the same person. Like,
1: I also, since that happened, I oddly uh, resent the captain and kind of feel like she killed a part of me. But I, it, it's it's weird. It's complicated. That that could have been one of her, uh, her bedtime stories. Yeah, like, Once upon a time, there was a man named Tuvix and he did not want to die. Tuvix was never like threshold was soft
0: retcon. Like, they decided they were gonna act like that never happened on purpose. Like, that was too much. But they never soft retcon Tuvix. That shit happened in continuity. Here it is. Here it is. Confirmation. You did not hallucinate that.
1: And it's, as I said, I mean, the joke that Tom makes earlier on the Delta Flyer, I think very clearly is referencing this. And as important, as I said, as important as this is for Neelix, it is important for Tuvok. Um, and this, for them, never mentioning Tuvix prior to this moment in them, citing it in this episode, it brings it all together and it makes um, it makes everything all right.
0: It's also Raph Green probably taking the piss, right? Like, this is him as a writer saying, like, if I'm going to do this episode, I'm going to take uh, some pot shots at the stupid decision. What are you going to do? Me. You're going to fire me? There's only three more left. Come on. You're just going to you're going to fucking eat it. And I'm going to just do this. But uh, everyone's upset that the
1: negotiation didn't work. They cut to Commercial. And... Real quick, he's done some real good ones. I want to talk about this Raph Green. Uh, minus the, the rat shit, toxic vomit of Virtuoso. <laughs> uh, he did have, one well, Child's Play I didn't like either, but Lifeline, one of my favorites. Flesh and Blood was solid. Prophecy was good. Which one was The Void? Why am I blanking on that one?
0: I think The Void was season five's opener. If I oh, remember. no. No, that was Night.
1: The void. void was good. That's the one where they get caught in the pocket of subspace and have to. Like, oh, get...
0: subspace underdome. Yeah. Yeah, of...
1: that was a good one. Too. I, hey, Raff green. A plus. Uh, no, you did virtuosity. C, 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 I'll give you a C. Yeah,
0: that's a that's a, a couple letter grades right there all by yeah. itself. Ouch.
1: <laughs> all right. So, hey, Uvix was a thing, but
0: here comes Neelix. I can just thinking of tiny assholes right now. I can't get off it. Why'd you remind me of that? Uh, blame memory alpha. Of, all right when they come back that it is Neelix in astrometrics and he's called to tu,
1: Tuvok in and he's like, whoa, whoa hold on. So, so Neelix has to come back and tell the mom and the son, like, uh, we didn't go great. We did get a concession kiss army. Gene Simmons said, you guys can have a couple extra days to like wrap things up. And then she doesn't say anything. To Neelix. She turns to a brat to her son and says, come on, honey, we're leaving now we have to go pack up and kind of throws the shitty look at Neelix. And I'm like, Whoa, like red flags.
0: If you want to butt fuck this widow, you gotta, you gotta come. Correct.
1: Mm -mm, You know, mm -mm, mm -mm. like what, what is, what's Neelix supposed to do? like, Hey, you guys, it's not my fault. You settled in the middle of apparently claimed mining space. Uh, There was never any like real vilifying moment to say like, Hey, this is supposed to be international waters. You can't claim this. Like, Maybe they wandered past a sign that said, stay out. This is the property. of so, so whatever, but she's going to like cold shoulder Neelix and be a real bitch to him because he couldn't wave a magic wand and make the miners fuck off like red flags, man. You don't want any part of this. <laughs> this is bad long term re- relationship. This lady, this is this is toxic written all over it. When they
0: cut back, they are at Astrometrics. Neelix and Tuvok are having a conversation about defending the colony. And Neelix is like, we're going to take them to this M-class planet. But there's a bunch of species nearby. Can you help me develop defense techniques that they can use? And Tuvok kind of lays a harsh truth. It's like, no, I can't. Um, I, I don't see them as being willing to defend this new place we're going to take them to because they're not willing presently to defend where they are and hypothetically where they are is the place they should defend if they want to defend it and this is where my complaint for the episode is is that tuvok is going to take neelix on a bit of a journey here and he's going to convince him you need to help these people you need to lead them and there's a ton to this scene that has a lot of texture of Tuvok relating to Neelix. Like, you are a leadership person. You may not know it or recognize it, but you have developed a tremendous skill set as a member of this crew. And you are in a position to do something for these people by being the leader they need for essentially what is a wartime moment. I like all of that. What is missing here is some predicate to why it is Tuvok is doing this. It almost comes off as malicious. Like, it, I don't think it comes off as malicious because I do think that there's been enough between them where he's like, does have a certain level of respect for Neelix. It's just it's very odd couple. He doesn't want to show it there there's just like a scene or a moment that's missing here where like where Tuvok had to clearly observe something or be notice observing something or Janeway throws up her hands a little bit about what's going on, about what can be done to help them and who can, you know, like how can we really be involved in this? And like, he's got this aha moment about what could be done. There's a lot of ways you could have played out uh, Tuvok's motivation here that would have made sense. Like really, any path is fine. They just didn't have any. He just shows up and is like, hey, buddy, why don't I uh, talk obliquely about how you can uh, go ahead and violate the shit out of the Prime Directive and help
1: these people? It's, I don't want to say it's a radicalization, but it's certainly Tuvok activating Neelix. And if you're watching casually and you just know that there is a surface level antagonistic relationship between these guys, I think it would not be a stretch to feel like Tuvok's just trying to get rid of Neelix. And this seems like a great opportunity to get his ass off the ship. Even, if, they ad- even if there was just a lingering
0: shot of Tuvok noticing how much Neelix is enjoying being with his people, you know, just establish it in camera. It doesn't even have to be dialogue of Tuvok like sees this and he knows Neelix just needs the push to do or the Neelix, thing that he
1: wants to Neelix do. Or Neelix continued, what, what about this? What if this? I feel bad that they're going to this. I, I don't... Yeah. Continuing to express, like, this scenario, that scenario, what do they do about this? Like, gee, you sure are worried about a lot of their stuff. I know they would have never done it if I was going to change the scene. Uh, it's rare that we've ever seen these two characters together alone in a room post Tubics. Uh, what mm, Tubok is, it, and, and the obstacle to all of this is that, uh, Voyager could kick the shit out of these pirates, not pirates, the, the kiss army, it's, yeah. it's just a mining vessel. And you'll remember the Malon garbage truck kicked the shit out of Voyager, which can take on board cubes and win. Oh no, I can't get involved in this because of prime directive. Never mind that catastrophe we caused on that last planet back in Natural Law. Like the chameleon that is the prime directive to fit the plot needs of any episode you're in. Sometimes we get involved, or other times you have two spacefaring people that are fighting over a fucking asteroid. nope, can't get involved. Nobody in Starfleet should have been willing to get involved, specifically Tuvok, who is a straight lace by the books guy. So him over there, like plotting insurrection is ridiculous. There just Uh,
0: needed, there needed to be something that, that ultimately Neelix did that's, that made it clear to Tuvok that he wanted to help these people. And Tuvok realized that he was in a unique position to convince Neelix to do the thing he wanted to do. And he wanted to do it out of friendship.
1: Here's my thing I want, if I'm going to use a fantasy wish, that door to close and be alone and Neelix start talking like this and for Tuvok to drop the shit the, drop the act and say you know fulfill everything i i know you you know me you know what you have to do because i know what you have to do these people need your help yeah. now is the time to act fate has brought you to this point because here's here's the you've other brought thing up, you've brought up the Tuvix thing why not lean all the way in go for it yeah stop you know what you have to do we know what you have to do. You have my knowledge. You're a better tactician than anybody else on this ship short of me. These people need a leader. Fate has brought you here. Why else would you, the, the Talaxian, the furthest from Talax, come across a colony out of nowhere that needs the help that only you could provide? This is your destiny. Fate has called on you for this moment and you need to realize your potential. You are not meant to go any further with Voyager. This is where you belong. This is the family you deserve, and they need you. And and now, like, that that moment of perfect clarity, nobody else sees what's going on. We're in a room alone, and just fucking drop the curtain, drop the shit.
0: Even, and it could even be, like, that there's an acknowledgement of the fact that Tuvok has felt too awkward about what happened to ever be this honest with him. You know, just this is why it's never been mentioned. It's that Tuvok isn't okay with what happened, right? Like he's, it was a, it's very mm-hmm. intimate thing they shared, and that's kind of why they've always been standoffish. And in this moment, he overcomes that awkwardness and that that to to reestablish the connection to make that point. I I completely agree. That's a great way to have done this scene.
1: So wrote it in a mind. Gave belt. you
0: the context.
1: You know, just this is absolutely the right person to to bring that suppressed urge that Neelix is having to the forefront that you know what you have to do. You're here for a reason. You used to be a coward. You and and let's have this conversation now. Um, You were a coward. You should have died on that moon with your family. You ran away from a fight because you're a coward. And you cost you your family. And you have a chance to have that family now, and it's going to take a fight to earn it. And, you know, what has this entire journey for you been about, if not fulfilling this moment right now, what is Neelix as a character? When you come down to like strip away all the goofy shit, Neelix wants family. He, he wanted it in Kess. you know, when you, first time we see Neelix, he's this ratty, feral new Jack Neelix drug dealer hiding in a ship, living in squalor. He gets a taste of the good life in Voyager eating all the food, drinking his bath water. He quickly learns that there's more to life than a, a quick score and that he has a chance to live there with Kess to become this better person. Kess goes off, does her own thing. He realizes that there's a bigger family to Voyager than just Kess. He endangers that briefly in fair trade because he's so afraid of losing what he has that he's willing to do nasty things and trade off warp junk, right? Janeway choose him out. You're a part of this crew. You're going to be punished with the crew. We love you. You know, this is what you belong. Neelix is always chasing that family. All this shit with Naomi Wildman and the Godfather thing. He wants that child he never had. Yeah, here's here's your opportunity. Everything has brought us to this moment. Here it is. Seize it. What we get is still pretty good.
0: I don't want to like shit too hard on the scene because it is solid, but it's the biggest missed opportunity i think that this episode had which it comes tantalizingly close to doing but kind of plays it a little too safe i guess is the way to describe it regardless two, uh to i almost said to Vicks, uh, neelix is convinced and decides to intervene he decides to intervene and take his own shuttle to discuss his plans that he comes up with with the talaxians that's when janeway intercedes and is like you're not about to do something stupid are you and he's like yeah i am like he just kind of confesses like i'm about to go like do some shit that'd be illegal if i was in the federation but i'm not
1: ultimately and are you ordering me not to
0: yeah and janeway
1: does not order him not to which again it's it's this flimsy prime like the only person who brings up the prime directive is
0: actually Neelix to everyone. Like, Oh, you can't get involved because of the prime directive. It's, it's the loose part of the rationale as to why he has to be the one that could have used some emphasis. It could have been like a simple, we're in contact with the Federation now, and I cannot afford to go messing with the prime directive. Now that they actually know what we're up to. Like just that, like that could have been the explanation, but, uh, This all does serve to emphasize what you already mentioned, which is the whole reason all of this is remarkable is that Neelix has gone from the coward who ran from war to the man who is now going to invite it to protect his people, which is just another part of his evolution. He's not only become personally brave, he's become a defender of his his tribe in a way that he wasn't before. He gets to the asteroid, he talks with the, the Talaxian colonists and says, here's the plan. These guys are very timely obsessed, so if we throw a giant shield grid around this asteroid, which we can do, thanks to all this power you're generating, uh, we can make it near impossible for them to crack this nut and they'll probably fuck off after trying for a while because they've got to meet their quotas by going elsewhere. And they can accomplish this by using these these patons. they're going to uh, put into the surface that they can then power using the geothermal energy that they're uh, generating. And they're going to use Neelix's ship and the one ship they have left over to lay the grid and then turn it on. It's pretty straightforward and... Another small weakness of the episode is when it comes down to doing the thing. Uh, you know, Neelix is certainly brave. He shucks and jives with this little shuttle. He's shooting at him. He comes up with a couple maneuvers. There's not a lot to do. And they really convey his heroism by the fact that when they get really close to finishing the mission, there's one depth charge that the miners put out to try and stop uh, all of this from happening and Neelix has decided he is going to ram that depth charge and sacrifice himself to ensure the success of the mission the ultimate manifestation of his selfless nature coming to the forefront oh he does also get a quick peck on the the lips from his uh, his girlfriend to be before he goes out there to potentially throw his life away
1: side note talaxian ships look super slick i don't remember yeah. looking like so fucking crazy futuristic but uh yeah the miners hit uh neelix's ship once it takes his phaser out so yeah he, he can't get that last charge and says all right well i'm gonna die for the cause uh he goes to kamikaze this thing into the mine but it blows up before he's able to collide with it and hey look at that
0: crazy Janie's
1: like, willing to get involved after all she's in there the delta flyer with uh tom they bingo that thing i'm i'm thinking the delta flyer probably could have hammered that fucking minor vessel on its own like yeah like
0: you, you said it already they're never portrayed as being particularly uh threatening this is a self-restraint issue yeah on a part of voyager to not be involved i i think that if I were to rewrite this part, I would have included the bit about, hey, we can get involved. We're in touch with Starfleet now. We're much more accountable. You know, there's less gray zone in these kinds of circumstances. And when they do get involved, it's very like, How Captain, how did you, how, how did you get involved? Oh, get involved. There was, I thought that was a piece of space debris. I was just shooting at it to prevent my, you know, the Delta Flyer from running into it. I'm sure there's something going on here.
1: Here's what I want. Uh, we've we've got the strong connection with Tuvok. This scene needed to be Tom acting rogue. Tom and Neelix are good friends, and they don't reinforce it, but we've had it in key episodes where Tom goes to leave the ship because he's trying to infiltrate Seska's uh, little Kazon network. Um, they're buddies, and in the wake of the competition with um, Kess, they've come out, it galvanized them and we refresh this back in the live fast and prosper right these guys are cut from the same cloth yep this should have been tom flying in against orders saving neelix's ass landing himself another 30 days in the brig or whatever i mean you know janeway'd be like i told you not to but thanks tom we're gonna forego the brig this time
0: i have an alteration i want to build on that idea What if instead, you know, Tuvok puts the the idea in his head. He builds him up to do it. He looks over the plan. He realizes they probably are not going to succeed. And he goes, like, I have to intervene to to deal with this. He goes to take the flyer. Tom intercepts him to say, I know what you're going to do. I'm I'm the flinty con artist on this ship. I've seen you two talking. I've seen the look on his face. I was on this away mission with you. I know what's going on. And you're not doing this alone because Melix is my friend. I'm helping him as well. And that, the two of them go to do it together. And Jane, that it enables Janeway to more easily look the other way after it's done. You know, like his... That they 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 both
1: choose to do it. They find up with some plausible deniability. Well, Tuvok, sort of I didn't punish you for the skevians I can't punish you for, <laughs> you for, for
0: this. Me. You know, like I I I want. The, I just wanted a little bit more of the. We have to help Neelix. Neelix mm-hmm. is our friend. We he's been our friend for seven years. Yeah. Let's be, or or even like it could have been a whole thing of like they go to do it and then they like run into Pilata and Chicote and Janeway who are like, yeah, let's all just do this one off the books, right? Like it's it could have been that all of them are on the Delta Flyer and be like, Do you think for what we would have weren't gonna intercede on your behalf? We're just gonna wipe the sensor locks. <laughs> Starflee's still thirty thousand start. You know, like there could have been a way, I think that they really. Work. They took a scene to establish like we would never have of abandoned our friend like this. I just.
1: I would have liked to see that streak of rebellion for Tom of like I got to stick out for my own on this one. Uh, also, I will take a uh, plan B, which is the missile goes in to hit it, and the the Deus Machina hand of Kess batting it away. <laughs> and a final, a final act of mercy. But uh, So, you know, that gets deflected. It goes down. Uh, Neelix saved the day. He's a hero. The Hoth shields activate, and the Star Destroyers can no longer assault it from orbital bombardment. We get our little goodbye scene. Oh, Neelix, you know, I wish, I wish we could be together. And then, you know, Neelix kind of walks out without saying anything. Clearly distraught. Goes back up to the ship and you can see now that he is a fish out of water. He is searching for that familiar connection. He knows he wants what's on the surface of the asteroid and he's trying to cling to the anchors that he has on the ship. And unfortunately, that's manifested by Naomi Wildman, um, his goddaughter. He goes in. Hey, how's it going? And when he tries to get back in this routine of like, you, you want to hang out? Can I be your parent? Uh, can I read you a bedtime story? Tucky in all the things he tries to do to interact with Naomi and Naomi is just too old for him. She's grown past the point of needing him and uh, I don't want to say it hurts, but it's a it's him reaching for that handhold. That's just not there. Um Voyager. I don't see he's outgrown him, but he the need. That scratches the itch for him to be there isn't there. He goes to the mess
0: hall, gets a cup of coffee. Of course, Janeway's there drinking a cup of coffee. And I felt like this was the best scene for me as someone who's, you know, had to mainline the show to do this show with you. Because if you recall, in season one, Neelix was trying to get the fuck off the ship the moment there was an ounce of danger. He as any rational to, person should have. He he wanted his ship ready to go. He wanted he wanted to just get the hell away from this death trap whenever this what looked like a cozy free ride was going to uh, hit a hit a pothole. And what this scene is is a direct parallel to that, which is now he is so invested in what he sees as his duty to these people that he can't, he's having difficulty asking for permission to leave, right? Like he wants to leave. We saw the scene with Naomi where he's, like you said, he's grasping for that connection and it's just not quite there. And he, he wants to make the ask and he can't bring himself to do it. It's the exact opposite of what we saw in season one. And Jane Way, of course, sees this and makes it easy on him and instead says why don't i give you a mission that just so happens is going to require you to stay here by being the federation's official ambassador to the
1: delta quadrant when he mentions you know it's like he, he's he's beating around the bush about leaving but he says you know i take you know i've i take the duties i have on the ship very seriously. And the emphasis that Ethan Phil puts in that line, like very, like very seriously. Like I really felt that, uh, it it resonated well. And I think Janeway clearly sees it too. So yeah, it's not, it, it's an act of mercy on her head. And, uh, when she says it's going to be difficult for me to run the ship, like I can't even imagine, you know, he's gotten himself worked into so many different facets of ship operation, like him separating you know, my own leadership capacities at work, like th- this is a significant uh, asset she's sending off. But, you know, if you love something, you got to set it free. So I thought this is a beautiful scene. It's great writing. It's a perfect setup. Her giving him the mission to to stay behind and l- lifting the burden from his shoulders. Um, really, really strong scene. The power of Neelix's story is
0: that the the search for meaning and connection is very relatable now, a lot of Star Trek stuff isn't necessarily relatable; It's a lot of techno babble and uh you know ship in the bottle type of dilemmas and it's fun entertainment, but Neelix is someone who was searching and found what he was looking for. Yet things change, situations change, people change, and he doesn't dislike Voyager or wants to leave in the sense that he, uh, you know, is feels trapped by it or or pigeonholed. All these people are his family, and they treat him that way. Yet what he wants is what you laid out so perfectly. He has wanted a family, like very much like as part of his life from when we were first introduced to him like as much as we hated fucking uh whatever that episode was with the with the mating issue between him and Cass Alogium Alogium like ever since then we've heard about it and here as you said it's on offer he wants to take it and feels so torn by the circumstances he's in that he doesn't he's having difficulty figuring out what to do and the you know the the best thing a friend can do in those circumstances is to understand and then make that as easy a a choice as possible
1: i want to call out our own shortcoming as much as we've harped on character loops um and and pointed out the inability for voyager characters to grow specifically B'Elanna Torres, we've only really credited The Doctor and Son of Nine as actually having a progressive character arc. And I don't know how Neelix has fallen into this blind spot for us, because in light of all these conversations, he has certainly had uh, that, that journey, uh, the hero's journey, the textbook hero's journey. And I think it's because the show marginalized him and pushed him in the corner so far that it kind of fell in this... Uh, blind spot for us that it, it just never ever came up that he has had such tremendous character growth between uh, Lift Jatral and a couple other uh, key eps out there that lay out. Hey, you were a big fucking coward, and now look at you. Uh, and again, as Tuvok pointed out, you've you've gone on this wild journey with us. You've grown so much as a person. Now is your chance to realize your destiny. And here's your reward. It's fate has brought you to the furthest Talaxian colony, which conveniently required someone exactly like you. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's has, he has the opportunity. He's got the green light from Janeway and we get kind of our final scene here. Uh, not a lot of dialogue, right? No, no, it's, uh,
0: as you, Said from the start, Neelix taking the long walk down the hallway. It's essentially, I think I saw in the memory alpha, everyone they could fit into a uniform was was there, like crew members as well as extras in the scene. But the idea is this is the whole crew turning out for Neelix's departure. And eventually, as he gets close to the end, you start seeing faces you recognize, smoldering catcher guy among them. Mm -hmm. and eventually the main cast and no one says anything except first the captain to to bid him farewell and it turns out it was successful in getting him appointed ambassador to the delta quadrant and before he leaves tuvok gets his attention and does the smallest little dance he can possibly do, so that Neelix's bet is fulfilled, and then says with just the right amount of emotion in his voice, "Live long and prosper."
1: It's first contact day, right? First contact with the rest of your. Today's the first day of the rest of his life. Um, in this moment, Tuvok chooses to uh, let his guard down and show compassion to someone that he's had a very complicated and long relationship with. Again, uh, Lift, or was it that? Rise. Rise. Huge episode between them. Massive showing of respect. Uh, very important. He's doing this basically in front of the entire crew, right? This isn't a secret little, hey, all right, after a while, you know, you're not a bad guy. In front of everybody. This is, uh, this is Tuvok giving uh, Neelix uh, a true friend's goodbye. I'm not going to lie. I cried like a baby. <laughs> I, had this... a sing-
0: I had a single tear roll down my face. I'm like, no, man,
1: this fucking killed me. All the stuff, like starting with Janeway through this hallway, gutted me. I was fucking. Good. Thank God my family was asleep, man. And my wife can <laughs> see me crying about a fucking space rat walking off the ship. Uh, I was not prepared for, you know. It, Overall, it's a pretty weak plot. Like the 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 skeleton yeah. of this, like oh, bad guys are trying to blow up our home. Help us, Obi Wan, your only hope. Pretty weak. Uh, for, again, for people who've been examining this series under a microscope and over discussing every fucking line of dialogue, treasure trove of character development, and uh, for my favorite character going off, I, easily one of the the best final episodes anybody on Star Trek's ever had the pleasure of getting. I mean, what a send off.
0: I mean, how rare is the perfect happy ending? And that's what they managed to give him. He like literally walks back onto the asteroid and is embraced by, well, his family, his people. And he's a changed man from when we saw him. He is, he is not a con artist. He is a leader. He is he is not a coward. He is brave. Um, he is not selfish, he is selfless. He has made the hero's journey and he has earned his reward. And reward that...
1: and, and redemption, you know. He hit everybody he knows being annihilated in the, the Holocaust of whatever the
0: The Metreon cascade, yeah. Metrian
1: cascade, and here was his one in a billion chance to uh to save a civilization that was on the precipice of disaster. So uh, really just a fucking a plus episode Uh, hats off to Raph green. Um, Great acting by Ethan Phillips uh, and Tim Russ, you know, just fucking perfect to and, uh, you know, switching over to gears into Tuvok as emotional and as, Um, compassionate as Tuvok can possibly be. He gets a perfect setup here. He is the opposite counterpoint to to, to Neelix and for him to be able to kind of complete the journey that he has been afforded through interactions with Neelix is fucking A++ it's a really good episode. I'm not going to call it an A plus simply
0: because some of the things we discussed, I think are genuine flaws in, and missed opportunities. And I couldn't help, but think about that while I was watching it, but it did not take away from the parts of it that are great. And I'll be honest with you, any episode of star Trek Voyager that can get an honest tear out of me. And this definitely did, um, deserves accolades. And, uh, I I think that my appreciation for Neelix as a character is definitely going to be my most surprising revelation from this journey that you and I have gone on. And this really sealed that deal.
1: I'm curious. I mean, you obviously watched all this stuff before I have. So when we started everything four years ago, you knew all this stuff in advance, like I think you were there with me, uh, you know, shoulder to shoulder that Neelix was pretty insufferable in the beginning. You know, I was partly curious, like, could I go back and rewatch those early episodes and see in a different light? And I think it just hits a point where Ethan Phillips starts looking at these scripts and saying, this is ridiculous. And they're writing this character awful. What fun can I have in these scenes, joking around and like trying to get other people to laugh around me and make this fun for myself? And it bleeds through and turns the character into someone genuinely enjoyable and lovable. So, we are so far from him bringing appetizers to the bridge. <laughs> I mean, Jesus. <laughs> oh, it's red alert.
0: Get the the <laughs> get get the get the cheese uh, blintzes or uh pierogies, mm-hmm. get the cheese pierogies out and bring them up to the bridge everybody.
1: Boy. <sighs> All right, man. Uh coming up. See gosh. Season 7, episode 24, right? Yeah, correct. 24, Renaissance Man. There's uh, B'Elanna and her would-be rapist, Vorik. I think they're peering in the... Uh... Is that the time bomb glory hole? I can't tell. Uh, Janeway is held hostage by aliens who force the Doctor to help them steal Voyager's warp core. Wow, what single line of code did they have to delete out of his uh, ethics subroutine to to do that?
0: this uh, episode is very uh again senior wiki and particularly that it mirrors ds9's second to last episode in that ds9's second to last episode had all of the minor slash extra characters got like more prominence and lines in that episode as a sort of like allow them to say farewell and uh that is the part of this that I think is going to hey, stick out.
1: Sign me up, man. I've been I've been asking for that especially during that Joe Carry farewell. <laughs> uh oh, gosh, what was that? Friendship one. Bring bring the guys out, man. Give me a Maya. Aiella. Don't worry. He he's even going to
0: say actual words this time. Other than like Satan's
1: robots? <laughs> <laughs> So he was satan's robot as well how good would it be if they took the doctor's hollow emitter and they brought satan's robot off the holodeck as like a security personnel and just let him clobber people
0: <laughs> and then he climbs out of it and they really were the same person the entire time i like it
1: um yeah man all right i'm ready let's do it
0: and we'll see everyone next week